Good morning. Welcome today. It's a beautiful day, sunshine out. Very grateful for the opportunity to be together. We're going to be looking at the passage that JJ read a moment ago in Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. The theme of our study today, resolute in the faith. And so I hope you will look with me carefully at Acts chapter 21 in just a moment or two. Before we begin, I do want to say thank you for your presence today. As always, if you're visiting, we encourage you to come back to be with us. We're so grateful to have many, many visitors come our way on a weekly basis, and we are thankful for that. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. I do want to say thank you to Jared. It's an honor to work with him, and I appreciate his leading singing today, preaching last week, and I appreciate Jared so very much and all the good that he and his family do at the work or for the work here at Olive Branch. And so we appreciate him very, very much. And thank you for all that you're doing to make the work of the church what it ought to be in the eyes of God. It's a collective effort. And so we appreciate everyone pooling their talents and resources to make the work here profitable. In our lesson today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 21. As I said a minute ago, turn with me to Acts chapter 21 and specifically... I want to key in on verses 7 through 14. I want to just begin our study today by asking you a question. Would you be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ? Would you be willing to suffer verbal taunts for your faith? What about physically? Would you be willing to allow others to mistreat and abuse you as a member of the body of Christ for the name of the Lord? Would you die for your faith? Now those are some strong questions. It was easy sometimes to talk about what we would do in the face of opposition, but when reality comes, the question is, will we stand? Many years ago, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And you remember he said, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So the possibility, and I would say in this day and time, there is a strong possibility that we face, we may face opposition for the faith that we cherish. What I want us to do is look at Acts chapter 21, and we're going to note together the evangelistic efforts of Paul. This is the latter part of his third missionary journey. And you remember he had been in the city of Miletus, and he had called for the elders of the church from Ephesus. When they arrived, he rehearsed his activities among them and talk, talked about how he had taught them publicly and from house to house, that he had testified to both Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he said that the Holy Spirit had said in every city, that bonds and tribulations awaited him. 
Imagine that. You are an ambassador of the Lord. You are His divine spokesman, one of His divine spokesmen. And what the Holy Spirit is revealing is you're going to face a lot of tough times in the future. Now you remember back in Acts chapter 9 when Ananias was instructed to go and talk to Saul of Tarsus. And he told Ananias that Saul was a chosen vessel of his to bear his name. And then in about verse 16 he said, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul lived to fulfill those words, didn't he? In Acts chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul talked about the trials that awaited him in every city, he said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. He said that I might finish my race with joy. And ultimately his desire was to fulfill his ministry the ministry that had been given to him by the Lord Jesus in the long ago, to preach the gospel of the grace of God. And so in Acts chapter 21, we read about the pilgrimage of the faithful. Now the Bible tells us in chapter 21 that they arrived by ship, they made a voyage, to Tyre, which was a coastal seaport on the Mediterranean. And they had traveled a great distance to Tyre. They had been there for seven days. Following that voyage, the Bible says, they then made their way to the city of Ptolemus. And if you look at the map, Paul and his missionary friends they were moving south. They'd been in Tyre. They make their way to Ptolemus. They stay there a day. They had been in Tyre for seven days. And then the Bible says, they enter into the house of a man by the name of Philip the Evangelist. They've traveled some 30 miles from Tyre to Ptolemus, another 30 miles from Ptolemus to Caesarea. And it's here that they spend some time with Philip, one of the original seven, going back to Acts chapter 6. And the Bible says that this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. They stayed there many days. And then the Bible talks about a prophet that foretold something that would occur in the life of Paul. The Bible tells us that through the Holy Spirit, when Agabus came up from Judea to Caesarea, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and feet and said, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem do to the man who owns this belt. Now imagine if you can... Life is good. You've been preaching and teaching the gospel. You've faced some opposition. You've faced some bitter enemies. Matter of fact, back in Acts chapter 20, Paul talked about those plotting Jews, Judaizing teachers that made life very difficult for him. 
And so now through the Holy Spirit, Agabus is warning him that he's going to be delivered by the Jews into the hands of the Gentiles. So you've got the prophecy of the Spirit here. And then the saints begin to plead with him not to go to Jerusalem. Understandably so. I mean, this is their brother in Christ, a fellow laborer. He's an apostle, a mentor, no doubt, to many people. He had been so evangelistic and edifying in his work from church to church and city to city. And now, through the Holy Spirit, Agabus is saying to him, listen, you need to understand something. There are Jews at Jerusalem, they're going to bind you and they're going to take you and deliver you into the hands of the Gentiles. And they pled with him. And then we have what I would call a tremendous profession of faith. Paul asked this question. He said, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? In other words, why are you so upset? He said, I'm not only willing to be bound, but I'm ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And the text tells us the disciples, recognizing that they could not persuade Paul to deter from his efforts his desire to go to Jerusalem, they said, the will of the Lord be done. Why do you think the Apostle Paul was willing to literally lay everything on the line for the cause of Christ? Why do you think he was willing to do that? I want to ask you a question. If someone were to Let me me just share an incident that occurred when I was in school. First year at Lipscomb. There was a young man in my class, 18 years old. And we were home for the holidays, Christmas holidays, Christmas break. This young man was an only child. And so over Christmas holidays, he was trying to make money. And so one of the things he was doing was delivering pizzas. So he's out one night, close to January 1. And as he's making his way about the city, a young man who had a troubled past had been drinking that night. And that man hit this fellow that was in my class and killed him as a parent. Could you forgive somebody like that? Let's say that a drunken driver killed your child. Could you forgive him or her? Could you? Interestingly, this young man's family went to jail where the fellow that had committed this horrific crime. They went to the jail and they had the opportunity 
to talk to this young man. Over the course of probably many conversations, they learned something about his past, that he had had a very troubled life, not much of a life at all. And through a series of problems in his life, found himself in a very difficult predicament. He's killed a young man, and he's 24 years old. And so this young fellow's parents began talking to him and building a relationship with him. Now bear in mind, their only child has been killed by this guy. They taught that fellow the gospel. Not only did they teach him the gospel, but he obeyed it. And then they took that fellow in, in the sense that they began to care for him, to try to help him. So I ask you, the child that you love, your son, your daughter, if somebody hit your child and killed your child on the road and they were drunk, would you forgive them? Let me tell you about, let me tell you about a boy that was a good boy, became a good man, and did a wealth of good in his life. Matter of fact, Remarkable life. Changed the lives of many, many people in a very short span of time. And that young man was treated horribly by his peers. So much so that they despised him, hated him, and ultimately took his life. That son was an only son, and his father forgave them. I'm talking about God the Father and Jesus the Son. So when I ask the question, could you forgive someone that took the life of your only child? You've got to answer that. I can't answer it for you. I understand how difficult it might be. I can somehow sense the anger, rage. But we're commanded to forgive, aren't we? Why do you think Paul was willing to give everything, everything, for the cause of Christ. I can tell you why. Because Paul knew something about the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And let me tell you what. Until you come to understand Jesus died for you, you will never be all in when it comes to the kingdom of God. You'll never be all in. Paul was willing to suffer many, many difficulties at the hands 
of his tormentors. The Apostle Paul was willing to die for the cause of Christ. And why? Because he knew without a shadow of, shadow of a doubt that God gave his only son for his sins. You can read about it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul said, But God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he uses the plural there. Paul would later say in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So here is the Apostle Paul. And he is unflinching when it comes to adversity. You want to take my life? Fine, so be it. A little over a week ago, a friend of mine lost his mother. Matter of fact, not just my friend, but a friend of Brother Billy, John Shannon. John's mother was 98 years old. She was a faithful Christian. We had the opportunity to attend her memorial service. And John began that morning by saying, The Queen of England died today. And he said, Our Queen passed away the other day. She was the matriarch of our family. 98 years. That's a long life, isn't it? Is it possible maybe even probable, that we are more concerned about our physical well-being rather than our spiritual well-being. How much emphasis is placed on the outward man to the exclusion of the inward man? You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, that we're not to fear Him that has the ability, the power to destroy the body? We put a lot of emphasis on that outward man, this physical tent, tabernacle, if you please. But how much emphasis do we put on the inward man? And do we really understand the fact that we live for Christ so that one day we might live with Christ? When the Apostle John wrote Revelation, he wrote to Christians that were facing a lot of adversity in life, a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. Matter of fact, to the church at Smyrna, he encouraged those people, and they had faced opposition, tribulation. And the Lord said, I want you to be faithful to me. You be faithful unto death. That is, in the face of death. And the promise is, he said, I'll give you the crown of life. To the church at Pergamos, he cited a fellow by the name of Antipas. And he called him a faithful martyr. And then he said, he has been killed among you. So what about that? What about difficulty and death for the cause of Jesus? In Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, here's what John said. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them.
There is a lot of information packed in that one verse, isn't there? Number one, to understand something about our passing from this world. To realize that it is, this is a fact. Unless the Lord comes, we will one day face the sting of death. Now, I don't really like the thought of that. I don't look forward to dying, but I know it's coming. And not to be pessimistic, but I understand my time is running out. I'm coming to the end of this life. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 90 that we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age. But then the psalmist said, that's Moses there. Moses said, it's soon cut off and we fly away. In Psalm 89, the psalmist asked the question, what man can live and not see death? Are you ready for death? You're prepared? Paul said, look, I'm ready. I'm prepared. I am prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ, to be bound. But not just be bound, but I'm willing to die if the cause necessitates it. Would that be you? The psalmist also asked this question. When he said, what man shall live and not see death, he prefaced it by saying this, remember how short my time is. If you're 70 years of age, you've been blessed with a long life. Moses said you might live to be 80. Anything on top of that's just icing on the cake, isn't it? If you're in overtime. So Solomon, or rather, Moses said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. You remember what James said? James said that life's like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So to understand something about the temporal nature of life, we're literally here today and gone tomorrow. 200 years from now, who's going to know us? Who will remember us? Just here for a brief time. Paul didn't fear death, I don't believe. Now the Hebrew writer talks about those who, through fear of death, lived all their lifetime in bondage. I understand something about the fear of death. Why? Because we've never died. One brother said that if we say we don't fear death, he said we're just whistling in the graveyard. Oh, it's coming. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready to leave this world? Paul was. Listen to what he said. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul said, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In verse 23, he said, The departing be with Christ is far better. You think Paul was on to something? You think Paul knew something about the advantages of dying in Christ. Now John said, blessed are the dead, that's our passing, which die in the Lord. That's the place where we want to pass, isn't it? We want to die in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible talks about those people, great people in days gone by, who live by faith. In verse 13, he said, these all died 
in faith. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, we know that if this earthly house or tabernacle be destroyed, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Why was Paul so certain about what lay before him? Can I tell you why? Because he knew something about being in Christ. Paul realized that salvation is only located in one place. That's in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're endowed with all spiritual blessings, one of which is the forgiveness of your sins. As Paul would say in Ephesians 1, redeemed through the blood of Christ, according to the riches of His grace. Now I mentioned something a moment ago about Paul and his attitude toward Christ and his recognition of what Christ had done for him. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, he outlines God's eternal plan to redeem people through Christ. In verse 6, he said, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Paul could praise God for the grace that had been manifested to the human family and particularly to him. Paul was willing to die in Christ because he knew something about what lay on the other side. So we've got our passing, the place of our passing. And look, we can't afford to die in sin, can we? You know, Jesus said, if you die in sin where I am, there you cannot come. So we don't want to die in sin. We don't want to die outside of Christ. Imagine living 98 years on this earth. Imagine at 98 stepping out into eternity a faithful child of God. Imagine the Apostle Paul as he makes his way to his Roman execution. Think he was worried? Think he was afraid? Did Paul know something about that crown of righteousness that had been laid up for him? You think Paul was all in when it came to serving the Lord? Yes, he was. Absolutely. So, to die in Christ and to realize that if we die outside of Christ, we have no hope and we're without God. That is a frightening thought. But then, what about the peace afforded us if we were to die in Christ? John said, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Remember in Luke 16 when Jesus narrated the lives of the rich man and Lazarus? And Jesus said that Father Abraham said to the rich man that you are tormented, but Lazarus was comforted. I don't know what it's going to be like on the other side. A lot of questions. All I know is what is revealed in the Word of God. But I know this, it's a place of rest. It is a place described by Paul as far better. So it's a good place, isn't it? And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how long we reside in the Hadean realm of paradise. 
Why? Because we are in the presence of Almighty God. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And listen, when we step outside this physical veil of existence and leave this body, the body is dead residing in the cemetery, right? The body's going to return to dust from whence it was taken. The spirit, however, goes to God, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. And we will be in the presence of God. It's a great thought. And then, you know, sometimes people have this idea that what they do here won't impact where they spend eternity. That's not what John said. John said, and their works do follow them. If I were to ask you to describe, to use one word to sum up the life of Paul, what would you say? I mean, there are a lot of things come to my mind. Faithful, resolute, steadfast, missionary, preacher, teacher, apostle, whatever. A lot of things come to mind. Probably any one of those terms could have been etched on his tombstone. How will your tombstone read? When you leave this world, how will people remember you? What will your legacy be? I remember when I was in high school. I think I was in, I think I was a sophomore. And there was a girl in my class. We had gone to school together from elementary school. Matter of fact, we graduated high school together. Her brother had been accepted. He was a senior, and we were sophomores. Her brother had already been accepted to West Point. This guy was a special fella. Very intelligent, good-looking guy. He had everything going for him. And one Sunday afternoon in September of that year, he had an automobile accident and sadly, tragically was killed. 17 or 18 years of age. The girl that was in my class, she was 15, 16, however old, however old we were at that time. Do you know what his parents put on his tombstone? Two words. Beloved son. That was a description of what his parents thought of him. Whether you realize it or not, you are writing your own legacy. Wasn't it the writer of Proverbs 31 who said about the worthy woman that her works had something to say about her life, her legacy? So I'll come back to the question. How much are you willing to give up for Christ? If you're not all in, can I tell you why you're not all in? Because you don't understand the magnitude of the gift at Calvary. You don't understand it. When you come to understand something about what God through Christ has done for you, you will be willing to lay it all on the line 
you'll be willing to serve Him, to live for Him, and possibly even die for Him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I hope and pray that we don't get to a point where we say, well, here, you know, here it comes again, the invitation, and we just blow through it. Look, every time we meet, the Word of God's powerful. The Bible has convicting and consecrating power. Sometimes maybe we don't measure up to what the book says. It might be the case that we've never obeyed the gospel as revealed in Scripture. So to understand that if we were to die outside of Christ, we'd be lost. But the remedy is the finished work of Christ. To know that God loves you, Jesus loves you. The Bible tells us God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. That's what Paul said, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. If you're not a Christian, could I encourage you? I don't know what's, I don't know what's holding you back. I have no idea why you have yet to do what you know you need to do. But could I encourage you today to understand something about the death of Jesus on your behalf? As Paul said, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. What would you need to do? Believe in Him? Repent of your sins? Do what they did on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem. Repent and be baptized. Your sins will be washed away. God will put you in the church and you will be in that institution that God has promised to save. And listen, we talk about the promises of God. They are real. If the promises of God are not what they ought to be, if they're not real, we're wasting our time here. To live for Christ would be meaningless. But the Bible assures us Christ rose from the dead. And just as certainly as He rose from the dead, we too one day will rise from the dead. If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be as a Christian, maybe your life's not what you know it ought to be. And maybe you haven't been all in. Maybe it's kind of hit and miss. Understand that you can make it right today. Get back in fellowship with God and His people. Leave here a saved, redeemed, cleansed child of God. Won't you come as we stand and sing?